So last Sunday on Easter, we celebrated who Jesus is. We began to talk about what Jesus is all about, and we said, this is Jesus. Jesus is someone who is incredibly loving, and he loves you so much. And we began to talk a little bit about how he also is alive. We began to drive this point home that Jesus is not in the grave anymore. He rose back from the dead. And we think it might be important at this time, right after Easter, to talk a little bit more about that Jesus being alive. And so we want to highlight that here today. We want to talk a little bit about that. And maybe you're new to church. Maybe last week was your first week, and maybe you put your trust in Jesus for the very first time. You began a conversation with God. And that's so exciting if that's you. We're so excited you're back. But maybe you came last week and you didn't put your trust in Jesus. You have some more questions. Or maybe today's your first time in church. Or maybe you've been coming for a really long time, but you've never taken that step to put your faith in Jesus. Or maybe you're someone who has a relationship with Jesus and you have for a long time. Today, I hope to encourage each and every one of you, no matter where you find yourself in all of that. And so today I want to talk with you about, is Jesus really alive or not. And we're talking about some of the doubts that we sometimes have that are associated with this. Sometimes we doubt that Jesus existed. Sometimes people can doubt that he was ever crucified. Or, or maybe you, you believe all that, that he did exist, that he did actually get up on a cross. But, but that whole like coming back to life thing might be where some of you are really struggling. And I understand that. Maybe you were reading a book one time, and man, just like in, in a half second, it feels like it completely proved Jesus never did all this stuff, right? Or maybe you were watching a movie one day, or you're having a conversation, you're sitting in school, or, or you're you're at work having a conversation with some people, and, and it just seems like they so quickly and easily discounted all of this. And so maybe you've wrestled with your faith ever since. Maybe you're just kind of working through that, or maybe you're a follower of Jesus, and you are in the school, you know, or you're at work, or you're talking with your friends on the ball field, or whatever it is, and some questions come about Jesus, and you don't quite know how to answer them. And so today I want to talk through some of this, and I just want to help us really, I think, hopefully get a, a full, true understanding about whether or not Jesus is alive or not. Anybody here in the room know a lot about cars? Anybody here in the room? Just go ahead, just raise your hand if you know a lot about cars. Okay, I got, I got my man Chris over here. Okay, so you, you know a lot about cars, huh? All right, all right, he's, he's good. all right, all right. Well, what, what, what part of the car am I thinking of right now? Dude, you know nothing about cars. That was awful, man, all right. All right, that maybe wasn't that fair. Okay, what's your dream car, Chris? What's your dream car? Yep. You gotta have one. I want you to. The next joke depends on you having a dream car, Chris. I really need you to have a dream car. That's all right. If you don't have one, that's quite all right. But let's just say Chris's dream car was delivered to his house this week, and, and, and the big you know, car carrier came down the block, and, and as he looked at it, there was no car. It was just a steering wheel. That, that's all that was there, right? Now, now, who's going to try to take the steering wheel and drive down the street with that, right? None of us, right? Because we know we need something. We know we need like a lot more than just a steering wheel. We need the whole car, right? We need all the pieces of the car to come together, right? We need the engine and the wheels, and we need the floor, and we need the roof, and we need the, the, the cassette tape with the 80s metal playing. We need all of those very important parts of the car to come together, or we're not going to get anywhere at all, right? And here's what I want to say to you today. If you're not a follower of Jesus, I think sometimes what happens in church is you come in, and it's almost like you're handed a steering wheel. What do I mean by that? It's almost like somebody says, okay, I got this one piece for you. I got this one piece of the puzzle, and I want you to believe in this one piece of the puzzle, and maybe you'll get moving in your faith, right? And what I want to say today is, is man, I hope we can, we can bring the whole car together, you know? Like, we can get a whole car so that we can actually get moving somewhere, right? That, that our faith wouldn't just be in one aspect of Jesus being alive or not. We would have tons of things to look at and say, oh, wow, I I think this can all come together and actually get me 
moving. And if you are a follower of Jesus, I want to say this too. I would guess that some of you, even though you are convinced Jesus is alive, some of you probably have your faith in just one piece of the car too. There's just one piece of evidence, and maybe you heard a convincing message once, or you were watching something on, on YouTube or something, and it was like, wow, I believe, I, I see this one really powerful point that makes me believe Jesus is alive. And again, today, I want to say, wow, that's great. I hope to equip you with many pieces of the car that would come together and keep your faith moving for you, but also for the people that I think God wants you to influence in your life. And now this whole topic is really near and dear to my heart. And so, you know, every few years we cover it a little bit. And today I'm just going to cover it in this one shot. And uh, years and years ago, I went through tremendous doubt after being raised a follower of Jesus and, and you know, kind of having some pretty interesting experiences with God. I went through this time of just severe doubt. And I began to really wrestle with all the questions about if Jesus were alive or not. And it just sent me into this whole plunge of trying to discover Jesus, are you actually God? Are you actually there? Are you alive? Can I put my trust in this? And can I tell others to put their trust in this? And so this turned into a multi-year search for me. And I want to talk to you again about just some of what I found. And this is what made me believe. And I pray it will encourage you to believe and continue to believe and be able to share your faith as well. And I want to say this too. At the info desk, we have the visitor CD which I've, I've tweaked a bunch and changed a bunch and added a bunch and subtracted a bunch for what I'm going to give you today. So it's not just the same thing, but it's a similar type of idea, just a one-shot deal. And so if we're going back to the car analogy, that's kind of like, you know, that, that's kind of like the car you would drive on a daily basis. But also at the info desk is the evidence CD set. And if we're sticking with the car analogy, that's like the tractor trailer load. That was a 10-part series we did about this topic. And we'd love for you to take either of those. They're also available on our app or our website if you want to stream them, just to help you out a little bit. If you have some questions or you want to be able to encourage others, or you're just looking for a little strengthening of your faith and maybe some of the questions that you have about God. So let me talk to you about sort of my journey that I took. The first question that I began to really ask was, did God create all of this or not? You know, like as we look around at the world, as we look around at, you know, nature, it's, does God create all this or not? And as soon as you open up the Bible, right, very first chapter, very first verse, you are confronted with some counterculture ways of thinking. It says this, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So just 10 words in, and you have two huge themes that we're already wrestling with, the existence of God and that he created all things, right? That's a huge deal. And so as I struggled with my faith, it kind of seemed, I don't know if you've ever felt this way, has it ever felt like there's really two options in life? Option one is you believe in God, and option two is you're smart. <laughs> it almost feels like you can't have both, right? You can't be both. And, you, and you, you, know, you begin to have conversations with people, you believe in God? You Seriously, you believe in creation and a creator? And Are you kidding me? And it kind of felt like you were either smart or you believed in God. It was one or the other. As I began to dig through it, though, I began to discover more and more smart people who also believed in God, really brilliant scientists who believed in God. And there's, there's one scientist in particular that I want to just share a couple of thoughts with you, uh, that some things that he brought up that I thought were really interesting. He says this, first off, he says, listen, if we're trying to use science to discount God, right, it doesn't really work. Why doesn't it work? Because if God exists, then he exists at least in part outside of nature, right? Outside of his creation, right? And so what does science do? Well, science is here to help us explore nature, okay? But we just said God is at least partly in existence outside of nature. So how then can science discredit something outside of itself? Do you know what I'm saying? Like it's, we're using the wrong tool almost, right? To try to discredit God if God is in existence outside of 
this nature. So science isn't qualified to disqualify God. Isn't that interesting? Another thing he brought up that was really, I thought, just a cool way of looking at things. If you're here today and you're kind of wrestling with all this and you have some doubt, he, you know, he said this, all right, I want you to imagine drawing a circle, okay? Imagine you had a, you know, almost like imagine this were a big notepad, right? And, and if you were to say, all right, Doug, draw a circle on here and let it represent all of wisdom and knowledge for all time in all existence, right? I would draw the biggest circle I could on this, right? And then if I were then asked, all right, Doug, now within that big circle that you just drew represents all knowledge of all time, now draw a circle that represents your knowledge right now, okay? And I would draw a very, very, very small circle, right? Don't laugh. I'm not, I'm, okay, I'm, all right, yeah, it'd be small. All right, so I would draw this small little circle within this huge circle that represents all knowledge. The smartest person, the genius in the room here today would also draw, probably in relation to the bigger circle, a very small circle. And so this scientist very wisely said, well, well, think about it this way. If you're trying to discredit God, if you're trying to disprove God, what if the knowledge that God exists exists outside of your little circle of knowledge, right? What if right now you've lived your whole life believing that there is no God, there is no God, but here's all this other knowledge out here, and what if the knowledge that God exists is actually outside your little circle of knowledge? And so think about it. Our are, are as beautiful and amazing as science is, it, it cannot disprove or discredit God. And neither can our knowledge because we've just all agreed that there is knowledge that exists outside of our knowledge, right? And so as we kind of start there, I, I think we discover pretty quickly, wow, okay, so science can't discredit God and my knowledge can't discredit God. And, and actually, as you begin to look and explore more and more into it, you discover not only can it not discredit God, but these things as you keep going and digging, actually point to a God and point to a creator. And they begin to show us, wow, the more you look into the intricacies of life, you begin to see something behind it. You know, one of my favorite illustrations on this is the eyeball, okay? The eyeball, right? So you're in your mother's womb, okay? And, and, and you don't actually start out with eyes, right? You, you have DNA that tells you you have to create eyes, right? They don't pop them in when you come out, right? And so you, you have to create eyes. And now God is w- uh, working there in the womb doing this incredible thing. And, and what has to happen, and this is so incredible, okay? What has to happen is there are one million optic nerves, right? And what has to happen is the optic nerve has to grow out of your eye that's being created, and then other nerves are growing from the brain, and these nerves have to connect. And there, are, like I said, there are a million of them, and nerve number three has to find nerve number three on the other end as they're growing toward each other. Nerve number 700 has to find nerve, nerve number 700 from this, this side growing toward one another, all the way up through a million. And if one of them is off, if one of them finds the wrong match or finds no match at all, you never see intricate, incredible, right? As you begin to explore more and more, not only do you not discredit God, you begin to say, wow, that's incredible. This could not have been an accident. And so, man, as I began to look into it more and more, I, I, I could not decide that science or my own knowledge had disproved God. In fact, I began to see that, man, I believe God does exist, right? I began to look more and more into that and, and become convinced that maybe there is this creator, And so then the question is, well, who is the creator and who is this God, right? And I just want to pause for a second and say to you today, if you're here today and you're like, ah, man, I wish you hadn't started there, Doug, because I just can't get past the science stuff. Here's what I want you to do, okay? 
I want you to not really worry about the science stuff right now because the central claim of Christianity is not that God created everything. I believe with all my heart God did create everything. But that's not the central claim of Christianity. The central claim of Christianity is that Jesus is the Savior of the world and rose back from the dead to remove our sin. And so if you're stumbling with the science stuff, put that on hold. Let's talk about Jesus now. Let's look at who Jesus is. This is my story. This is the way it unfolded for me. It might be different for you, okay? And so the next question I kind of asked is this. As I began to try to figure out, okay, I believe there is a creator, but who is it? The questions were, were something like this. Is it true and what does it do? What does that mean? Is it true and what does it do? The next piece of the car for me, so to speak, was trying to figure out, all right, if you have all these God options out there, right? You have all these different people claiming to be God or claiming to be the way or claiming to be the way toward heaven or paradise or all those different things. I began to say, okay, where do I find truth? So is it true? And where do I find power? What does it do? Okay. And so I took all of the options out there. I mean, I'm talking everybody. I took Joseph Smith and we got L. Ron Hubbard and Buddha and Muhammad and, and Allah. And I lined everybody up next to Jesus and asked these two questions. Is it true and what does it do? And so I looked at their initial claims. Now, in the Evidence CD series, we go into a lot of detail on this. I'm going to kind of fly through this and just give you one example. But then I'm going to tell you that they all play out the same way. Okay. And so let me talk about Buddha for a second. As I looked at Buddha, I said, okay, is it true, Buddha? Is your initial claim true? What was his initial claim? He said, one day, I was sitting out under a tree, and I just realized I was enlightened. I just, it just, I just had this understanding that I was enlightened. I was sinless. I was holy. And, and so I would say, okay, well, is it true? Like, Buddha, can you prove this to me, you know, that this is truth? Because i got to be able to sing my teeth into something. He said, oh, no, I can't prove it. It's just true, Right? Now, let me ask you a question. Would you accept that in any other area of life? Like for a, a few years ago, I had to have some minor surgery on my back, right? And so let's just say I gather my family around the table and say, guys, I got to tell you something. I got to go in for back surgery and, um, you know, I'm going to be down and out for a little while. And, you know, just pray for me. Pray it all goes well. And let's just say my 15-year-old said, you know what, Dad? It's so funny. I was sitting out under a tree today and I realized I am a surgeon. I'm a surgeon, man. I got this, Right? And so I just fling a little, you know, dinner knife over. Let's get this done right now, Kate. You know, of course I would never accept that, right? I need proof, right? I need to know, whoa, whoa, okay, can you verify this claim, right? And so Buddha would say, I can't verify it. I'm just telling you it's true, right? And I'm telling you, you begin to look at every single other person, every single other religion. That's the same thing you get every single time. And so the next question, what does it do? So let's just say I believed Buddha was in line. I'd say, Buddha... What do you do for me now? What does it do that you are enlightened? What power does it have for me that you have had this experience? You know what he would tell you? It doesn't do a thing for you. You now have to go get yourself enlightened. And the way you do it is by eradicating all desire within your heart, right? Well, so, okay, so what does it do? Well, nothing. And, and is it true? Well, he can't verify it. And then you take Jesus. And I'm telling you, again, if you line up everybody next to Jesus, you see the difference. You see Jesus stand out like nobody else. And so you get Jesus lined up next to every single option after you say, all right, Jesus, what's your initial claim? He said, well, I'm the son of God, the savior of the world. Okay, well, well is it true? Is it true? Like, we got to figure this out. Matthew 26, 63 says this. Then the chief priest said to him, swear on oath, in front of the living God, and tell us you are the Messiah, the Son of God. Jesus answered him, yes, I am. Okay, so he's got words, but Buddha had words, and Muhammad had words, and all these different people had words, but, 
But is there something to back that up? Well, Jesus would say, oh, oh yeah, I'm, I, I can kind of prove that I'm the Son of God, Savior of the world. See, they put me in the grave, and then I rose back from the dead. Like, totally different than anybody else. Everybody else just said, take my word for it. Jesus said, I was publicly crucified and then rose back from the dead. Now, if you're struggling to believe that, we're going to get there, okay? We're going to keep talking about this a little bit. But then you have to ask the question, Jesus, all right, if you did come back from the dead, what does it do? What does it do for me? What power does it have? Look what it says in John three sixteen: For God so loved the world, he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall what? Shall not perish but have eternal life. It doesn't say they have to be good and, and make sure that they undo all the wrongs that they've done. It doesn't say, oh, they have to go get themselves saved. They have to go get themselves enlightened, just like everybody else's. No, literally, it says that this is now this gift of salvation. So what does it do? It does everything. It changes everything. It makes all the difference in the world. It saves us in a way we could never save ourselves. And so Jesus stood apart from every other option out there. And please don't take my word for it. Go ahead, look into it. You'll find the same thing every single time until you get to Jesus. Someone who can't verify their claims and someone who even if they could, their way has no power to save or rescue you. You still gotta do it yourself. And so Jesus stood apart. The next part of the car for me were the prophecies, the prophecies in the Bible. Imagine in the year 1019, right? So a thousand years ago, someone prophesied several things about their church. Let's say they, they knew the name of the church. They knew we'd sell our old building and we'd meet in a school for a while. They knew the address of the new church. They knew that they, this church had the most handsome pastor ever. They knew that, what? oh, and that's when people start yelling out false prophet. Is that what it was? Okay, I see how that is. Okay. So imagine they got 10 things right. We'd all be like, wow, that's pretty crazy, right? Well, the beautiful thing is that with Jesus, you have over 300 prophecies, over 300 prophecies before he ever came, written centuries before he came. And they're not general prophecies. They're not like these things that, ah, let's try to make that fit to Jesus. They were incredibly specific. I think one of the most amazing, if I could give you, were the details about Jesus' crucifixion. Like, a thousand years before, David, 750 years before, Isaiah, details about Jesus' crucifixion. You might say, all right, what's the big deal about that? Guys, listen, when these men made these prophecies, crucifixion didn't exist yet. Like, it wasn't like, oh, everybody knows what crucifixion is. Let's just say that's probably the way it's going to go. No, it didn't even exist yet. That would be like someone a thousand years ago, 750 years ago, prophesying what a gun looks like or that an electric chair or that they're going to give you a shot with a needle and you'll go to sleep, right? Like, I mean, who comes up with this stuff and this specifics? But look what Isaiah wrote 750 years before Jesus came. Isaiah 53, 5. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. That word pierced. That's specific to crucifixion, right? Now you might say, well, Doug, why is he saying it in the past tense? Does that seem weird to anybody that if Isaiah was saying this and it's a prophecy about the future, why is he saying it in the past tense? Well, he's using this device called the Hebrew, the Hebrew prophetic perfect tense. And what that means is the writer was so sure it was going to happen in the future that they said it like it already happened in the past, right? I mean, it would be kind of like me saying on April 29th, 2019, I went to Chick-fil-A. You know, because I'm so sure it'll happen tomorrow. I'm going to say it today like, like it happened already, okay? And that's exactly what David's doing, or Isaiah's doing here. And David did the same thing. Look what it says in Psalm 22. It says, they pierce my hands and my feet. Like, this was not an image people were used to. No one was crucifying anyone. No one was putting people up on a cross. 
And if you look into crucifixion, you also discover that more often than piercing hands and feet, they would actually hang people and if, uh, adhere their arms and legs with rope. And this is very specific to Jesus' crucifixion, that they used these nails to pierce his hands and his feet. And some people say, all right, well, well, maybe Isaiah and these guys, after Jesus lived, man, some people took those books and messed with them and they doctored them up and they, and they put these little things in there and make us think Jesus came and did these things. Well, we know that's not true because in 250 B.C., there was this translation of the Hebrew scriptures into Greek. It's called the Septuagint. And Isaiah and David were already written then. You couldn't go back and, and find all the copies and get back to the original you know, manuscripts because they had already been translated into this other language. And so these things exist. And they say, well, maybe Jesus knew what was going to happen. or he, he knew, rather, what these prophecies were. And so he tried to fulfill them. Well, how do you fulfill being born to a virgin, right? How do you fulfill being born to a certain town? How do you fulfill what they do with your body after you're taken off the cross, right? Unless you're God. Unless you knew exactly what was going to happen because you're the one who wrote history. And so that next piece of the car was so important for me. And so are you seeing, guys, our faith isn't rooted in like one cool fact. It's not just rooted in, wow, look at creation, or, or man, look at everybody else compared to Jesus, or even just the prophecies, but, but we're beginning to see more and more that the pieces of the car are coming together, and our faith isn't about just one little piece, right? And then he goes, uh, let's go on to the next one. The next piece of the car for me were the eyewitnesses, the people who saw Jesus willing to die for their faith. You may say, but people of faith die for what they believe in all the time. But think about the difference. They weren't dying for what they believed in. They were dying for what they saw. You guys see the difference between that? There are people today that will die for what they believe in. But these guys weren't doing that. They were dying for what they said they saw with their own eyes. Jesus back from the dead out of the grave. And you know what? If these guys were making it up, why would they let it cost them so much? Like, wouldn't you give up on this eventually if it was going to cost you something? When I have to discipline my son Landon, I, I try a few things, you know. If he does something wrong, I'll be like, all right, buddy, no iPod for the rest of the day. That one usually doesn't phase him too much. In fact, once in a while, he'll be like, that's cool, man. I don't need it tomorrow either. <laughs> okay, then you don't got it tomorrow either. <laughs> hey, he's like, oh, I don't really need it till Wednesday. Okay, well then, next Wednesday, right? Like, you start playing that game, you know. But here's what I know. I know if I really, really, really want to get to Landon, I have to go to his bed tent. As soon as I bring up the bed tent, have you seen one of these? I got a picture for you. As soon as I go to the bed tent, it's no, dad, no, 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 not the bed tent. Please, please, please. Anything else but the bed tent, right? And he comes clean on whatever was going on that I had to discipline him about, right? He'll tell the truth. He'll turn around. I'll never do that again, right? As soon as it was going to cost him something that important to him, he came clean. And the disciples would have done the same thing. Who goes to the cross and gets crucified upside down like Peter did, still saying Jesus is alive if Jesus actually isn't alive, right? Who, who suffers like these men were willing to suffer if Jesus wasn't actually back up out of that grave? You know what? You don't die for what you know is a lie. And these guys never would have gone to the lanes that they went through if Jesus wasn't really alive, if they hadn't seen him and touched him and hugged him and eaten with him and talked with him many times on many different occasions. The next piece of the car for me was the transformation of the first century. Think about the first century. It's just kind of moving along like every other century, and things are going fine. But Jesus shows up. He's placed on a cross. And then there's this claim made that he rose back from the dead, and everything in the first century changes. I want you to think about this. A movement based on someone publicly rising back from the dead 
doesn't transform the world unless it actually happened, right? Like, let's just imagine. We got to just put ourselves there, you know? Like, if we all went out to lunch and we were hanging out in Smithtown together, and then suddenly they said, hey, guys, uh, they're publicly executing someone and they're going to put them in this tomb that's going to be very, very well known. And we, we all saw this take place and we saw the tomb and we saw it close and we saw the whole thing happen. And then suddenly, a few days later, we see the same guy walking around, perfectly whole, healthy, healing, doing all kinds of miracles, showing up. It's the same guy. We would know something just happened that's about to change everything here, right? And we have to remember, this is what took place in that first century, right? You might say, but Doug, we've all heard of movements that, you know, endured time. I mean, Doug, you just brought up, say, Buddha. That was a movement. There are still Buddhists today. You got Muhammad. Muhammad brought up this or that. And there's still, you know, this Muslim following today. And so these movements can sometimes go on. It doesn't necessarily mean that they're true, right? But again, we have to go back to what was claimed. What was claimed was Jesus was dead and now he's alive. And that's what the movement stands on. That's what the movement endures on. Not just someone's belief. A bunch of people who publicly saw a dead person come back from the dead. And it completely changed them overnight. Have you ever known anybody religious in your life? Isn't it true religious people don't really change, right? You know that, that old saying, like, he works out religiously? Never been said of me, but, but he works out religiously, right? What does that mean? It means they won't miss it. Right? You can do anything you want. You can try and throw them. You can try and you know, distract them. You can try and tempt them this way. No, they're going to be there right? because they do it religiously. Guys, who was more religious than the Jews of the first century? And yet when Jesus appears after being buried in that grave, everything changed. A whole group of people who had been raised their whole life, and we're talking about generations and generations of people, ancestors who had brought them up in these Jewish traditions are now saying, Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is alive. Jesus is the Savior of the world. You can do whatever you want to me. Jesus is alive. Next part of the car for me that was really powerful were the historical writings outside of the Bible. I think this is really important because I think sometimes we discount what the Bible says because we're going, well, it's the Bible. Of course it says that, right? Of course it says Jesus is alive. But did you know that there are tons and tons of writings outside of the Bible that confirm a lot of what the Bible actually says. And again, I'd love for you to dive into the evidence CD set because I, every single piece of the car that I'm bringing up here today and a few more, I spent an entire message on. And so there's tons and tons of evidence on all this different stuff. But let's just talk about one writing outside the Bible. This is Josephus. He was a first century Pharisee and a Jewish historian. And he was not a Christian. And I think that's important. This guy was not a follower of Jesus, did not give his life for Jesus. And yet look at what he says says, at that time, there was a wise man who was called Jesus, and his conduct was good and was known to be virtuous. Wow, virtuous. <laughs> Many people from among the Jews and other nations became his disciples. Pilate condemned him to be crucified and to die. And those who had become his disciples did not abandon his discipleship. So let's just pause for a second. You have him confirming that Jesus existed, that Pilate is the one who put him on the cross, and that his disciples would not give up. His disciples would not shut up. They would not abandon him, right? They reported that he had, been, he had appeared to them three days after his crucifixion and that he was alive. So now we have him confirming that the disciples were convinced Jesus was alive. Accordingly, he was perhaps the Messiah concerning whom the prophets have recounted wonders. So now we got him bringing the prophets in from back in the day. And this is a non-Christian, this is a non-follower of Jesus bringing all of these things up that confirm what the Bible says. Look at how it lines up. Look at Luke 22. It says this, But the crowd pressed Pilate. 
They shouted that Jesus had to be crucified and they finally won and Pilate decided to give in to their demands. Luke 24, while they, the disciples, were talking about what had happened, Jesus stood among them. The disciples were overcome with joy and amazement. You may say, great, but that was a long time ago, Doug. I mean, that's cool and all. That's a nice little piece of the car, but that was a long time ago. And so can you kind of like bring us any evidence today that can help us really understand how powerful this is? Because, you know, you and I, we could argue, we could go to work tomorrow, we could go to school this week, we could have, you know, something on YouTube later today that we're looking at and it feels like it discounts one of these things. But man, what about today? What's something that today we can look at? Well, how about changed lives? How about changed lives? How about like we, we celebrated last Sunday, if you were with us, the fact that in these seats around us are a bunch of people who are changing, who are growing, who are becoming new and different, right? We're imperfect, we're flawed, but we are not who we used to be. And we're changing. And God's at work in marriages in this room. And God's at work in relationships between parents and kids in this room. And God's at work in each and every life as we continue to get closer to him, right? And we're not who we used to be. And so, man, I'll tell you what, we are being changed. And that changing is tremendous proof. In fact, last week we showed you Natalie's video, and she talked about the difference. She got saved last Easter, the difference between last Easter and this Easter, and what God has done in her life. So incredibly powerful. And there's just something I have to remind you here today, because you might just say, oh, well, you know what? Maybe, you know, it's just the power of belief, you know? The power of belief is what has changed everybody's lives. You know, it's like this idea that, all right, if you believe enough in that fairy tale, you know, it might just go ahead and, and, and have some kind of impact on your life. Can I just remind you today that fairy tales don't change lives? They don't, right? Fairy tales don't change lives, especially not over the course of a life, right? You can believe in something for a little while, and, and pretty soon you're going to discover, wow, you know, it had an impact on me at first, but it didn't really stand the test of time. As I dug down deeper, I didn't discover more and more and more and more truth. It just kind of maybe was surfacey. And it was an emotional thing, but it didn't actually change my life. But fairy tales don't change lives, right? Like, you, you never said to somebody, you want to hear my story? I have this amazing story in my life. I, I was sitting home one day, and I was watching Beauty and the Beast, and my life just forever been changed, right? You know, that bell's just so real, you know? It never happened, right? Fairy tales don't change lives. Jesus changes lives, right? And so I think that's incredibly powerful proof that we've been, we've been able to see each other's lives change. That's why community is so important, right? Because we get to look at each other's lives and say, wow, look what God's been doing. All right, none of us are perfect, but, but look what he's been doing. Look how he's been doing this real thing in your life and in my life. That's incredible. You're not who you used to be. I'm not who I used to be. So powerful. Another powerful piece of the car. The last one I'm going to bring up here today is this thought. God's way works. God's way works. That could just kind of be the final piece of the car that we, we just celebrate today is that when you and I begin to take the Bible, that's why starting point is so important, right? Because we want to help you understand how to read the Bible. When we take the Bible and we begin to apply it to our life, in other words, we begin to read through the pages and we say, wow, Jesus says this is important. Or God says that's the way I should be living my life and I should surrender this area of my life to him or that area of my life. And we begin to do it. We begin to discover that God's way works. We begin to see change take place in our life. And you know what? Sometimes, as we're reading through the Bible, we come across something we don't really like or we don't really want to surrender to God. And we're kind of like, man, this is really frustrating. Why is he calling me to do it this way? I don't know about any of you guys, but have you ever, like, in the middle of the night had the fire alarm beep begin to go off? It's like the worst, right? The, you know, the battery's dead. So it's like one every two minutes, and you're like, ah, and you, like, lay there, and you're just telling yourself you're going to ignore it, and you're going to sleep anyway. But eventually you get up, right? 
and you try to take, take the battery out, right? And, and I don't know if this happened to you, but recently I, I have a couple different, you know, fire alarms. So I knew I'd be all right if I just took that one down and I wouldn't put anybody at risk. So I, I took it down and, and I took the battery out and then I went to put it back up in there. I was like, why isn't this fitting? I'm, I'm, I'm wrestling with this thing and I couldn't get it back up there. And then as I explored a little bit further, I realized that the fire alarm that I had actually had this device in place where if the battery was removed, it wouldn't allow you to reinstall it, right? And I'm like fighting with this thing. What's wrong with you? You know, you yell at the thing in the middle of the night. And then I realized something. Th- this thing that I'm frustrated at right now is actually there to save my life, right? And sometimes as we're looking through the pages of scripture, like, oh, seriously, God says that? Are you kidding me? Jesus wants me to do this or do that or surrender this area of my life. And that's annoying. Are you kidding me? And we get upset with God, but then we begin to discover, wow, that's in there to save my life. That's in there to protect and preserve my marriage. In there to protect protect and preserve my integrity. In there to protect and preserve my physical safety, right? My soul, my eternity, right? And we begin to do things God's way. We begin to say, wow, his way works. We begin to apply what the scriptures say about marriage or parenting or friendship or love or selflessness. And we begin to go, wow, this is crazy. Look, look what God's doing in me as I, I trust him and I do things his way. The best example I have ever found on this is the one I'm just going to keep on using. So if you've been around for a while and you heard the old evidence CD set, there's the one spot I got the same exact illustration because I'm going to keep using it until I find a better one. But my good friend, Dr. Phil, <clears throat> um, he used this years ago, and I thought this was so cool because it came from Dr. Phil, right? I mean, this is pretty powerful. So, so he says this on his show one day, and this is so incredibly powerful. I hope, I hope you'll hear me right because you're going to think you heard me wrong, but this is what he said. He said, we all know one in two couples get divorced, right? One out of every two. Ready for this? He said, one in 10,000 couples that regularly pray together get divorced. So it goes from one in every two to one in every 10,000 couples who take God seriously and come together and as a, a man and wife pray together every single day, even if it's for 30 seconds. Heading out the door, oh God, just be with us today, lead us today. God, thank you for who you are. God, thank you for this family. Or, or, or it's 10 minutes while you're driving in the car together. Or it's a section of time, maybe you set out at the end of the day. or Whatever it is for you, but it goes from one in two to one in 10,000. Why is that? Because God's way works. And we begin to be close to him. We begin to be close to one another. If you've done marriage counseling with me and Kelly, you know our, my cheesy triangle illustration is the closer you get to God, the closer you get to one another, right? And I just think that's so incredibly practical and powerful coming from someone who I don't know if the guy's a Christian or not, but he has seen the power of prayer. And so God's way works. And I love that that can come together and be the final kind of piece of the car. That we can see all these different things that have lined up and all these different things that are so clear that they point us to this risen Savior, this risen one who has changed everything. And I just, in 35 minutes, gave you a 10-week series. And if you want to dive in to a lot more, I encourage you to check that out because every single one of these and two more I go into a lot more about. And here's what I want you to know today. I hope you'll take a couple of these things. You'll be able to answer some questions maybe this week or you'll be able to encourage someone in their faith this week. But here's what I want you to know. I don't expect you to remember everything I said. I just want you to know I said a lot, right? That there's a lot of pieces to this car. That you're not just walking around with a steering wheel that's maybe half broken, right? 
Now you have all the pieces of the car that come together. And you know what? If the steering wheel comes under attack this week, your faith doesn't have to fall apart. And that was my biggest struggle. Because my faith was really rooted on one piece of evidence. And when that began to come into question by somebody who wanted to argue about it, I didn't know what to do with my faith anymore. But you and I have so much to support our faith. And because of that, our faith can really be moving. And so this is Jesus, guys. This is Jesus. You know who Jesus is? Jesus is alive. I hope today, if you're not a follower of Jesus, you're convinced Jesus is alive. And if you're not, that's okay. I'd love to keep talking with you about it. I'd love to have conversations with you about it. But if you today would say, wow, I never thought about it like this. I never saw all this. I thought this was just a fairy tale, some kind of hoax, some kind of silly story that had nothing behind it. I hope today that your faith is beginning to start to move, so to speak, in this car toward God, if I could put it that way. And if you are a follower of Jesus, I just pray your faith is strengthened because sometimes I need the reminder that all this stuff is true. Sometimes the hardship we go through in life, the suffering we go through in life, man, it begins to call this other stuff into question, doesn't it? But I pray your faith's been strengthened. I pray maybe you have a few answers this week for a friend, for somebody you've been praying for, someone who's been asking questions, or the person you invited to Easter last week, but maybe they didn't make it. I pray that you can share some of what you've heard today and begin to encourage others in their faith. If you're not a follower of Jesus, I would love for you to just take a minute with me and pray if you want to put your trust in Jesus today. And we're going to continue to explore in this series who Jesus is, and we're going to kind of get out of sort of all this stuff that's really kind of aimed at our head next week and begin to explore some other areas of who Jesus is. But I pray today some of you will put your trust in him for the very first time, because the truth is Jesus is alive. Let's pray together. God, we thank you so much that you have given us this truth, Lord. I thank you so much, God, that we do not have to wonder and question and doubt and hope, but God, that we can be sure today, Lord, that you are alive, Jesus, that that you desire a relationship with us. And I thank you that you died on the cross and rose back from the dead to purchase our salvation. Like we just read together in John chapter three, that God, you love the world so much, you gave your son, so that all who believe will have eternal life. And God, we thank you for all the pieces of the car. We thank you, God, for all that you have done throughout history, this beautiful story that you have been writing throughout time to be able to bring us to a place where we could put our trust in you. And I thank you, God, that not only do we have evidence from 2,000 years ago, but right here in the room today, we have evidence. The people sitting around us are evidence that you're alive, Jesus. The way that your way works in our lives is evidence, Jesus, that you are alive. And so we thank you. If you're you're not a follower of Jesus and you want to put your trust in him, would you just pray with me now something like this? Jesus, today I realize that, that this is all real. Jesus, that you're alive. That you died to save me. That you rose back from the dead. Oh God, help me believe this with all my heart. Thank you for what you've done for me. Thank you for this gift of salvation. Show me how real you are. So before we open our eyes today, I would love to pray this week for anybody that prayed that for the first time. And so I'll just kind of quickly just glance over the room. If you prayed that for the first time today, would you just look me in the eye so I could be praying for you specifically this week? Awesome. I see you back there. Anybody else? Anyone else here today? I see you. Cool. That's awesome. here on the side. Awesome. I see you. Yep. Awesome. Thank you, God. God, I thank you so much, Lord, for everyone who's put their trust in you. Oh, Jesus, continue to show them how good you are in your name.